My name is Riley Lowe. I'm the host of the Righteous Ruggers podcast. Uh, some of you uh, are family and friends. Some of you are, I've only known of acquaintances, you know, that I hardly know. And some of you are brand new and you, I don't know any of you. So I know a lot of people are probably knowing me before Christ. Some people uh, only after Christ, I've accepted Christ. And some people just don't know me at all. So if you're wondering what I was like, kind of my faith journey, what I was like before Christ, and then uh, post Christ, post accepting Christ, post uh, salvation, and then uh, kind of the journey since then. Um, I, that's what this kind of introduction is all about. So let's get into it. It's time to get off the church benches and into the trenches. Let's make a righteous ruckus. All right. So, like I said, welcome to the Righteous Ruckus podcast. This will be episode one. And I want to talk to you today about uh, kind of my testimony, my story, my life story. So uh, we'll talk about growing up Christian and building, having that Christian, or in a Christian family anyway, and building a Christian foundation. And then kind of the downward spiral that happened in my life that actually led to me uh, seeking the Lord and leading to my salvation. And then my journey since salvation. Uh, It's not all puppy dogs and rainbows, of course. And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about. Now, growing up, I was born in 1981, Stillwater, Oklahoma. And uh, even when I was an infant, the challenges kind of already started, not necessarily for me because I don't really recall it. But um, when I was an infant, I had had a babysitter that uh, physically abused me and I resulted in a skull fracture. Okay, it was a real scary time for my family. Um, The... From what I understand, they they even took me away from my parents for a few days until they could evaluate and and realize that it was, in fact, the babysitter that had done this to me. So it's kind of a, you know, my parents were on pins and needles there for a few days. How bad is this going to affect him? Is he going to survive or not? Blah, blah, blah. You know, my grandparents and everybody, too, was affected by that. Um, Needless to say, I came through that. And uh, growing up, we moved around a bunch. Um, My my mom and dad, they got different jobs, different places, and we just kind of moved moved from Oklahoma, moved around, moved to Texas for a little while, moved up to Maine actually for a couple of years when I was uh, in like second or third grade. Then we moved back to Oklahoma. And Oklahoma's kind of where my roots are, where my foundation is. And actually, um, if people were to ask me where I was from, uh, I would probably say Deer Creek, Oklahoma. It's a small little town up in north central Oklahoma, almost to Kansas. And um, that's where I spent uh, just really only four years there, just in high school. And But it was my formative years. It's formed a lot of my identity and uh, had a lot of foundation there through a church there, a small church in a near, neighboring town. It's not it even a town. It's like an incorporated community or unincorporated community, whatever it is. Um, Narden, right? There's a church there. Um, now they go by Narden Church. They recently broke away from the Methodist denomination. So congratulations to them on that. And um, anyway, so that having friends and family, you know, we would go there and play basketball and go to church there. It was really kind of the first time that I would say I got really a church home, if you if you could, uh, if I call it that. And so. Uh, you know, that kind of laid the foundation. Um, uh, I was fortunate enough to, in high school, um, begin working for a family um, that did farming 
there north of, north of town and you know drove tractor hold hay did all that stuff uh for them and they were a real strong christian family and a great influence in my life too as as you know their their extended family is is all great um still uh, you know i haven't seen a lot of them in a while but uh still great uh great acquaintances and great great friends and and you know i, I guess i would call it almost an extended family um and then, uh, you know, just a lot of family and friends that had a positive influence in my life in that area. Well, I went to college and uh, got in with some friends um, that were kind of doing the party scene. And it was, you know, all of a sudden, instead of being here's shy, timid Riley, kind of turned into the Riley that knows how to party, right? Um, and, you know, my... Uh, you know, I, that foundation was there. I knew it was wrong. All right. This is the thing. I knew, I knew what I was doing was wrong. I knew it wasn't healthy and wasn't smart. Uh, there was a lot of times that I did a lot of stupid, stupid stuff. All right. And that, that point in my life, you know, I actually, today I, I, uh, speak at victims impact panels, which is, I talk to like drunk driving offenders, that sort of thing. And I like to explain to them, look, there was a time in my life where I was doing stuff that could have landed me in jail. I could have done time, could have killed somebody, you know, drinking and driving. It's not smart. Do not do it. Uh, definitely do not condone that at all. And so, um, I, you know, like I said, I was just, there was, there was times that I was, uh, one time I, my employer at the time, uh, one of my bosses, they called me out because I had gone to work hungover. I had actually gone to, uh, there was a friend, a work friend that she had invited me and a couple others to church. I actually went to her church um, hungover. And I'm sure people could tell, you know, as much as you think that it, people don't notice, people notice. All right. And so I remember when I finally, even when I graduated from college, I was still unsaved. And I remember a guy at work one time, a boss actually, he brought up a, you know, a religious conversation, a uh, Christian topic, and I was like agreeing with him, and he goes, oh, are you a Christian? And I was like, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. And he goes, oh, well, great, you know. Um, but, you know, he should have been able to tell before having asked that question. That's the kicker there. So I obviously wasn't a Christian, and and actually, um, you know, had a, had a situation. During this time, I had actually... You know, I'd help. I went with a church group down to Mexico. We built a uh, house for uh, a family on a mission trip there in a border town. Um, you know, there was the, the Christian influence was still on my life, right? And I remember sitting at the, an uncle's funeral, and they were talking about, you know, the the things that, that this uncle had done and his Christian faith. And it was kind of a part that I'd, I was unfamiliar with. And I remember sitting there. This is the reason why. This is the reason why. If you're ever, ever at a funeral, and every, you know, a lot of funerals, people incorporate the gospel, right? This is why. For people like me, for people like you, this is this is why. So it can impact. Who knows who it, who it can impact? It impacted me that day. I remember sitting in that funeral and thinking, what would somebody say about me if I was the one in that casket? I would have half the room saying. Riley is a good kid. Boy, he was a good guy. Boy, he was great. And then I'd have the other half of the room saying, Riley knew how to party. Riley knew how to throw a party. Boy, he could he could go get the alcohol and all that. 
and and we could have a good time, right? He knew how to have a good time in, in the world standards, right? So that really got me questioning myself, and it led, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people along the way, uh, countless people actually, positive influence, Christian influences, that led me to going, okay, what is, what is going on with my life? What am I doing here? And I remember being at a, at a I guess you'd call it a club, um, one night, and I'm sitting there thinking, look at all these people. They're all dancing around, drunk, loud music. And there's like, you know, maybe 200 people in this place, maybe. And this is in a town with, you know, thousands, you know, 30, close to 30,000 people. And not all those people are there, but I'm sure there's more than 200 people that are happy with their life, having a good time in their life than that are not there at that club drinking, right? That was kind of a, I don't know, an epiphany or whatever. And I'm thinking, this is just, so things got to change. My life is just not not where it needs to be, right? And there was just a lot of issues went on. And I could feel the Holy Spirit, you know, tugging at me. And I remember going up to uh, this little spot that overlooks a lake nearby. And, and I took my Bible out there. And I was just looking over the lake and I was praying to God. And I was like, this is just what, what this, my life I'm leading right now. Where's that head? And that's pointless. That's completely pointless. I've got to change something. So I I gave my life to Christ there. I was like, Lord, you know, come into my heart, take over my life. Let's change this thing. And, you know, one of the telltale signs, you know, is if you've truly been saved is fruit, right? So what's the fruit? You know, I remember not too long after that, I was a. We went on a, a bunch of guys from work. We all went on this this fishing trip, and they we all stopped by the you know the the store on the way, and they're like, "Hey, what kind of beer you want, Riley?" And I was like, oh, "No, I don't. I don't drink anymore." And they're like, "Since when? Since when?" You know, and that was a perfect time to to share the gospel. But I was you know I was too timid, too embarrassed, too whatever, too shy to do it at that time. Um, but yeah, so. So I, I got saved and there was, you know, there was, there was fruit from that. Now I'm not going to say I turned into a choir boy, turned into a saint immediately. That's called sanctification. That takes the rest of your life. That's how long sanctifi- sanctification takes. All right, salvation is, there it is. You, you've committed to Christ. You've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've confessed him as your Savior. And then sanctification takes the rest of your life. And then someday... There's another fancy word for you called glorification, right? Whenever we enter into eternity, whether it be when Christ returns or whether it be whenever uh, whenever you die, you know, then if you're a believer, then you get transformed and uh, get a resurrected body and you spend eternity. That's glorification, right? I'm looking forward to that day with all the uh, aches and pains. I know I'm only 42 now, but uh, trust me, when you hear the rest of the story, if you don't know, you'll, you'll understand. So... Um, I married uh, Courtney, and actually it was within a couple years of me being saved, and it's a good thing I got saved because she would have never married the man that I was. She's made that pointless or, or point plenty of times. And we actually journeyed through quite a few churches, uh, were church hoppers, if you will. Um, we did this. Okay, well, that's uh, there were some issues with some churches. Not that, oh, quite frankly, there were some legitimate issues with a couple churches, and that they were they weren't following the bible there were, there was some some non-biblical preaching going on there just 
really a, almost just lack of Bible at all. And um, so we ended up with several churches uh, that we had gone to recently, and we'd just become members of a church. And when I got hit by a drunk driver, um, I was taken, uh, I took Courtney to, to Enid, Oklahoma, to a, a class there. She was getting her master's in psychology. And this was in 2012, September 13th of 2012 is when this was. Um, the year the, the world was supposed to end for the Aztec calendar, if you remember that. Um, so I uh, took her there, went out to, to supper with my dad. He was getting ready to start chemo treatments the next day. I was on my way to go back and pick up Courtney. And whenever I got hit by a drunk driver, uh, he was 2.5 or 0.25 blood alcohol content, which is over three times the legal limit. Um, and, and anyway, it did a number on me. They took me to the hospital and they actually got my dad and Courtney to go in and say goodbye to me because they were getting ready to transfer me to another hospital. Now that's not to say goodbye as far as, um, see you in a little bit. That was to say goodbye is he's probably not going to make it. You need to say your goodbyes, right? Pretty serious deal. Um, actually all the first responders, you know, um, the uh, the police, fire, uh, paramedics, every single one of them, all the doctors, they said, you, you should have died. Uh, you should have bled out and died. Every, all, everybody said, we didn't expect to find somebody living in there. Anyway, they got me transferred over to the hospital. They got me patched up through like 10 or 11 hours worth of surgery. And um, see, let's go through a quick list. Uh, injuries on that. My left femur was shattered, got a rod in there. My pelvis, uh, fractured pelvis there. Um I uh, had fractured vertebrae, uh, my left elbow, my radius and ulna were shoved out the back of my elbow. The doctor said it was like putting together a bunch of uh, gravel. Uh, they did get a bunch of hardware in there, though. Uh, my left humerus, uh, fractured four ribs, a sternum fracture. Uh, dislocated a bunch of bones in my right wrist here. I needed some pins and, and all that to get that fixed up. Um, did have uh i had broke my nose in two places big old gash that was on my forehead there uh, and had a bunch of stitches uh ended up with a bunch of sinus fractures and all that stuff you know just kind of three out of four of my limbs uh were not functional at that point um anyway it took me uh that was in like icu for a few days and ended up uh Going to a rehabilitation center uh, about a week later. That's kind of where my memory starts. So I was in the rehabilitation center for 28 days. And I remember when I when I went there, that's kind of one of my continuous memory starts is when I first got to that rehabilitation center. And even though beforehand, there's bits and pieces. I do remember some, and I've been filled in afterwards. There were so many friends and family, an awesome, awesome deal that were there to support me and pray for me and, and help take care of me. But when I got to that rehabilitation center, I remember telling my wife, I said, I said, I'm going to walk out of this place. And after 28 days of work, I actually did uh, not walk out of that place. Uh, <laughs> I was in a wheelchair for three months. I uh, learned to walk again after that. Returned to work. Uh, about, it was about uh, eight months after that, after the wreck, is when I returned back to work. Um, but anyway, through that process, man, there was just so many people. Uh, so many people came and visited me down there. And it was, this was in Oklahoma City is where the hospital was. It was, you know, 100 miles away from, from kind of where we lived at the time. And so many people come by, called, 
you know, called my wife, just so, so much support. It just, it really was amazing the amount of support and uh, Christian support, right? Um, from mainly Christian friends and family, coworkers uh, that, that helped support me uh, and my family through that. It, that affected, it affected, it had a ripple effect, it affected tons and tons of people. And, you know, by the grace of God, survived. And I come back, I got full function of everything. They told me I would never uh, run again. The doctor did, that, that did my leg. He said, yeah, he said, it'll be too painful. You probably will never run again. That's very likely that, that you'll never run again. And then it was several years later, I was able to run a 5K in a in Memorial Marathon down here as a leg of a of a relay. So kind of proved him wrong on that. So I did, I did wind up walking again and running again. So <laughs> I proved him wrong some. Just uh, thank God I was trying to teach me patience whenever I told, said I'm going to walk out of that, that hospital and I wasn't able to do it. So um, anyway, I did that. And then uh, since, you know, in, in the years after that, I've had, I don't know, like 12 surgeries. I'm, I'm still trying to add them all up. I think it's 11 or 12 that I've had. Um, surgery since then, deviated septum and all sorts of stuff, replacing rods, replacing this and that. Um, you know, I mean, parts wear out, right? You got to go in and get them, get them replaced, <laughs> get them oiled up. Um, but then in uh, 2006, or 2016, excuse me, uh, our first daughter was born in September of that year. That was truly a magical time. You know, I, I remember... There's, there's a lot of there's times that you remember exactly how much you know your your emotions kind of run wild right um I remember you know salvation was really cool um I remember when I married my wife I was a nervous wreck as she could tell and uh, married her that was a really exciting day and then uh, where you think oh man I just love this person this is awesome and then uh but you know there's just a different kind of love that happens whenever you hear your your child your own child start crying you know whenever they're born even though i do remember when we were still in the hospital it's kind of funny i told my wife i actually told, didn't tell her this until like two years later and i was like man i was sat in that hospital it was a c-section so my wife couldn't do anything and here i am taking care of this kid and i was in the middle of the night that first night and our daughter just she just kept crying i mean she's a baby you know she's a baby she gets hungry get this and that and i was like i remember sitting there on this little fold-out cot thing they gave us in this tiny room and i was like man we messed up we messed up bad this is this was a big mistake we don't have i don't have no idea what i'm doing i'm in way over my head this is this was messed up is how how do we how do we change this i remember that, that went through my head right i'm like this is i went way way past what my experience i can't i cannot do this you know overwhelmed but now looking back now, it's just it's comical to think that because we got uh, actually had two wonderful children now, two daughters, and uh, it's it's just been they've been a true blessing. They really have. Now they test your patience, but they've been a blessing. And then actually, just recently, this last December, after my wife harping on me for about two months, me being fatigued and not going, what's going on here? Uh, I ended up going to the doctor and and. Uh, and got some blood work done just as a checkup deal. I told them, I'm getting fatigued. I don't know what's going on here. And they called me the next day and they said, dude, you're running out of blood. You got to get to the ER right, right now. Uh, normal hemoglobin level is like 13. I was at a 5.8. And I actually called several different doctors. And they're like, yeah, in my 30 years, I've seen one person that's 
you know, had lower than that, but they weren't walking or, you know, I had all these three different doctors say that. And so I was like, I guess this is serious. I need to go get some blood. So I went and got a couple units of blood, spent the night in the hospital. They gave me some uh, IV ferrous sulfate uh, to help stimulate my blood production. And then they said, well, we got to get, we got to figure out where you're leaking at. All right. I got to figure out where the leak was. They did a scope down uh, my throat. Didn't find nothing. All looked good. And then we scheduled a scope to go the other direction uh, a couple weeks later. And then when I actually went in for my colonoscopy, it was after that that the doctor come in. He's like, hey. I said, well, how is it, doc? And he goes, well, it ain't good. And I'm like, okay, well, what's that mean? He goes, well, there's a tumor in there. We found a tumor. Okay, we talking benign or malignant or what are we talking? He goes, well, it's not benign. I can tell you that by looking at it. And I was like, okay. And actually found out later that he had called our primary care physician and had told him, look, this Riley's got cancer, got colon cancer. And this, this just by the looks of it, it does not look good in his experience. Right. And he was, he was an experienced doctor. He said, it does not look good. This is, he said, I'm guessing stage four, it's probably spread. And he had told me, he said, look, you've got a tough road ahead of you. You got a real tough road. Um, but, and he had told me, he said, look, I've done two procedures on you. You've prayed for me and my crew before each procedure. So I know you're a man of faith. And he said, and you've got a positive attitude. So you're miles ahead of most people on this deal. He's like, you're going to get through it, but it's just not going to be easy. Anyway. So I wound up getting a CT scan, um, for the surgeon and the CT scan showed that it was, it was in my, in my colon and the tumor was, and then it had probably affected a couple of lymph nodes in the area too. And so the doctor, he said, the surgeon, he says, well, he said, that's a couple of lymph nodes I'm going to go ahead and pull out anyway, so no big deal. Anyway, so then I got my surgery done. I went in there, they cut out the, the, the tumor and, you know, some more of my large intestine. And then, uh, and then he, I, I, you know, recovering after that. They sent all that stuff off. They did robotic surgery, which is really cool. If you you know, want to pull up pictures of that, it's kind of neat. Um, it's the guys over there playing video games. I actually asked him when I woke up in recovery. He says, "How you doing?" I said, "Well, I don't know. How'd you get? Did you get the high score? You know, I want on you. I want you to get the high score." And he said, "Oh man, everything went perfect um, on that deal." So I sent everything off and actually come back. The pathology. They said, "Look, there's no." There's no uh, no cancer in those lymph nodes that, that should have been there. And, you know, it kind of surprised him. It kind of surprised me, too. It surprised a lot of people. But, of course, it's th- dude, through this whole process, um, which was a whirl, still, I'm trying to wrap my mind around this, a whirlwind, okay? So it, within about a month's time, I went from that you've got, we found cancer, this does not look good, not look good at all, to now they said, all right, we cut it all out, got it all. No cancer outside of your tumor, so you're good. And I was like, I mean, it's just nuts. Um, but I had so many people um, helping out, praying. People literally, I, I heard um, from people, thir- you know, third person, but I've heard they've had people praying literally around the world. People that I know that have gone on mission trips and have connections in different parts of the world. There's been literally people um, around the world that have prayed for the situation. And, you know, normally I'm kind of a modest guy. I'm kind of like, oh, you know, I'm, I can handle this. We'll get through it. But in this situation, it was super scary. Kind of like the wreck situation. Sure. We'll welcome prayers and help whatever we can do. 
or whatever we can get, you know. And so it was just kind of a, it was a crazy deal. And so then I met with an oncologist here uh, last week, and I, I was I was convinced, right? I was convinced. I went in that to that meeting thinking this guy is going to push chemo on me. He's going to do it. I know he's going to do it. The surgeon had actually said he's probably going to want to do some chemo on you um, to keep this from coming back due to the type of cancer it was. And I was like, uh, you know, I actually joked with several people um, that, man, I hope I don't have to do chemo because I don't know what I'd look like if I didn't have any hair. And <laughs> if you're watching the video version of this, um, you can see that I um, clearly do not have any hair. You know, I, I gave up the fight. Um, a, a couple of years ago and I just, I shaved my head bald, um, because most of it was like that anyway. So I went ahead and caved and, and shaved it, shaved it bald. Um, so anyway, so I went into there and I was just, I, I was in a bad mood. I was thinking this guy is going to push this on me. I know he is. And I remember sitting in there waiting on this doctor. It took him forever too, to get back there. I was back there. I was went from the main rating room to the little waiting room, you know, in the little doctor's office. And I was like, this is not good. I know this guy's what this guy's going to do. And so I remember waiting in the little in the little room going, Lord, just give me grace with this guy. You know, whatever happens, happens. It's in your control. I Get me in a better mood. I don't like being mad. I don't like being in a bad mood, but just get me in a better mood. And he, the doctor actually come in and he goes, well, and he goes, um, I don't think you need chemo. And I was like, are you serious? This is an oncologist, a guy that makes money off giving chemo to people. I mean, other things too. I'm not going to, I'm not trying to vilify the, the, the practice or anything, but, but you know, that's, he makes his bones off of that a lot of times. And I was like, really? And he goes, yeah. He said, I ran all these numbers through this fancy deal. And if we gave you a chemo, it's not going to increase the chances of you keeping cancer away for the next three years or five years. It's going to be the same result either way. You got like a 95% chance of staying cancer-free within the next three years and a 93% chance of staying cancer-free within the next five years. So, I mean, great. I was like, that's awesome. You know, hallelujah. That's it was awesome news. So didn't have to go through all that. You know, maybe sometime in the future where they find something, I will, whatever. Um, but it's just it's that whole, the whole, this whole cancer thing has been nothing but answered prayers. And even though like they're in my wreck deal, all right. I know because of some of the things that led to my salvation, even if I would have died in that wreck, God could have used that to bring somebody else to the Lord, right? For the, for the glory of God. God could have used that wreck for the glory of God, for his own glory. God could have used his cancer. They said, if they would have said it's really bad, you got a month to live. And then I died a month later. Well, God can use that to further his kingdom, all right? That's the thing. And the, and that's the great thing about being a Christian, really, is let's say I do die. I'm going to die someday, right? Unless, barring the Lord's return between now and then, I'm going to die sometime. And that's probably the best thing that could ever happen, honestly, because you enter into eternity to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, and get, like I said earlier, I'm looking forward to that resurrected body, where um, all the aches and pains of weather changes and waking up in the morning and all that stuff and all that, everything just gets gone and 
uh, get to be uh, reside in the glory of God there. I'm just I'm looking forward to that. And something, uh, you know, kind of that with this whole suffering thing. I mean, here, here's the thing: I kind of joked to my wife whenever I found out I had cancer. I was like, I thought the I thought the wreck testimony was good, man. Why was that not sufficient? Right, God, you gave me the wreck testimony. I've been using the wreck testimony. That testimony has opened so many doors um, of people saying, "Wow, what? What? Tell me about this wreck." Oh my goodness, opened so many doors to share my testimony, to share a little bit of the gospel, you know, to share my Christian experience. There, I think, do I really need a, a cancer diagnosis on top of this? Well, evidently I did, and it's just one more thing that I can that I can use to hopefully glorify God and shine light into this dark world, right? And so um, it, it made me think about here, I was actually reading this the other day, uh, 1 Peter 4, right, verses 12 through 14. This is Paul, or, or I'm sorry, Peter, talking to early Christians in the Roman Empire. And this is this is when they were actually burning the people at the stake to light the streets and feeding on the lions and tigers and all that stuff. So here he says in verse 12, this is 1 Peter uh, 4, verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of the glory and of God rests on you. Now, this is something to think about here. He's basically saying that, look, you go through these trials as a Christian, which this has been my experience, is people go, oh my goodness, how did you get through that? And they look, they look and see how you handle things. Right? People in the world that you would never expect are looking to see how you handle everyday life, how you handle your trials. The trials are coming. They're coming for everybody. Whether you're a Christian or not Christian, you're going to be going through trials. And so, I mean, this is the thing. Don't, don't, you need to anticipate that, right? Um, and if you're participating in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed, right? You need to, when, when you go through these trials, you can get bitter or you can get better. There's a lot of people that get bitter and say, why God? Why me? Why do I deserve this? Well, I mean, I'm a fallen human being. I deserve worse than this, right? I'm a sinner. I deserve worse than this, but by the by the grace of God, you know, He's given me salvation, something I could never earn for myself um, by by Christ's blood. And so, that's that's the thing is is you need to let you know, like I said, you can get better, bitter, or you can get better. The thing is, you, you need to clean and in, in, in both situations. The cancer diagnosis and the wreck thing, and a lot of other times when you go through those those trials, a lot of times it helps narrow your focus. At least in my case, narrow your focus on Jesus, on God, on your faith, because that's ultimately the where your foundation is. That's what matters. That's the important stuff. It helps get all the noise out of your life and help you focus on what's really important. Right? Uh, you're you're your family and friends that are coming along beside you to help you through those situations. And then another thing, think about this. 
This is in Genesis 50, verse 20. This is Joseph, whenever he was, you know, got sold into captivity and ended up being second only to Pharaoh and was able to help out, you know, probably millions of people during a famine. He says, you intended to harm me. He's talking to his brothers. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I guarantee you the enemy, uh, his if he had his way, or as we can say in Oklahoma, if he had his druthers, he would rather me get through that wreck and become, you know, whether it be become addicted to pain pills, whether it become depressed, whether it become down or turn your back and just hate God and hate life and, and, and oh my goodness, and why did this have to happen to me? And just cling on to that bitterness. He would love that to happen because guess what? That stops the spread of the kingdom of God. That helps stifle that. And I'm sure he would hope the same thing happened uh, with the with the cancer. I guarantee you, he wanted me to go. And I tell you what, for those first few days, that's something. Whenever you're, I was at the time I was 41, and which is just recently, right? I was 41. And when a doctor says, you've got cancer, right? I'm a Christian man, but I was like, I sat, kind of sat back in the chair and I was like, okay. I mean, it hits you. It hits you hard. It's a different kind of deal. I've seen, I know people, I've known close people that have had been diagnosed with cancer, gone through all the stuff. It's different when it's you, right? It's different. It's a different perspective. And so, I mean, it was like, wow. But you gotta you gotta use that to for the glorifying of God. Don't let don't let the enemy, don't let Satan, don't let the temptations of this world make you go, oh poor me, poor me, poor me. I'm just gonna keep all this to myself and be depressed and let the world around me fall apart. That's not what we need to do. We need to shine the light, right? Use it to use it as strength. Here's something uh, I don't don't even know who to credit this to, but I heard it a while back. Uh, It may not even be the exact word. Maybe this is my own original thing now since I changed the words. But um, suffering is not indicative of a lack of joy. And likewise, a lack of suffering is not indicative of having joy. All right. Before I was saved, I was Mr. Party Man for a long time, had a great paying job. You know, making it rain money everywhere, at least, you know, in your perspective at the time. And, uh, <laughs> you know, all these people, oh, boy, Riley, boy, you sure know how to party. Yeah, boy, good time hanging out with you, blah, blah, blah. And you think, man, this guy's on top of the world, you know. And in your, uh, in, in, in my whatever fallen nature, pre-salvation, I thought I was living a great life. I thought I was living awesome. But, um, I, and I didn't have any suffering at that time. I was like, man, life's great. And then you kind of get hit with some, some reality and you start thinking about things and thinking about what is really going on in this world and what's really going on in your life and it changes things. But, uh, also, uh, suffering like the wreck, like a million other things like the cancer. I mean, there's been tons and tons of issues that I've had um, in this in this last you know post Christian post salvation um, life I've been living it's ridiculous the amount of different things and 
But the reality is, just because I'm suffering, it doesn't mean I don't have joy. Because my joy doesn't come from, how do I feel this morning? My joy doesn't come from, uh, I hope I feel good. I hope so-and-so is not mad at me. I hope every, these people like me. That's not where joy comes from. My joy comes from the Lord, right? My joy comes from my faith in Jesus. That's where my joy comes from. And since that can never be taken away, no matter what happens, no matter what this world does to you, this is the thing. The worst thing that this world thinks can happen to you, death maybe, that's probably one of the worst things. If you if you take God out of the equation and, and faith and Christianity out of the equation, there's people probably like, man, I don't want to die. I do not want to die. Well, guess what? That's actually, as a Christian, that's that's the worst thing they, they can think they can throw at you. Well, that's the best thing that can happen to you. Really, you, you get to spend eternity, right? You get to enter into eternity and get the rewards of that. I mean, that's how good is it? How good is that? So anyway, so growing up around people, you know, helped me build that solid foundation that that led to me relying on that whenever uh whenever i hit that low point in my life and was able to say look i'm convicted the holy spirit worked on me convicted a lot of people asking questions and doing stuff experiences convicted me to become saved uh and then you know and then it's been a long i'm not there's no way that you could say this is an easy journey since then if anything it's been a lot a lot harder a lot harder since becoming a christian than it was leading up to what led me to what I thought was difficult to become a Christian, if that makes sense. But guess what? Here I am. I'm still here. Uh, God's got me here for a purpose, and I think this podcast is one of them. There's no telling how many people this is going to reach, and um, I, I'm I'm looking forward to it, looking forward to this journey, and I hope you are too. So um, one thing you guys can do, if you, I mean, this is just this is just my testimony, right? And Next episodes, I'm going to kind of get into some meat and potatoes of things, um, different issues. My my plan is to help encourage you as a Christian and help strengthen your Christian walk and share experiences and hopefully be able to bring on some some guests that can share their experiences with us as well to help strengthen me and strengthen you guys. And so if you're not going to want to miss those future episodes, so if you're listening to this podcast or watching it on uh, on either YouTube or Rumble or listening to it on a podcast platform, if you would uh, subscribe, that'd be great. Um, think about leaving a review or a rating on um, what you think of this. And also, I, I really want to hear comments on on kind of where you would like this, this podcast to go as far as uh, ideas for future episodes. What issues are you having with problems with? And I'm going to get into some specifics, you know, um, on like what what I dealt with in the wreck. Um, there's another issue where I had to switch careers um, due to some I don't know. I guess you want to call it persecution. I, I mean, it's pretty light in these in terms of persecution, but I guess you can call it that. Push I pushed back and uh, didn't work out too good for me as far as being a Christian. Um, was told that was told that uh, I can leave my Christianity outside of work and uh, but not bring it inside of work. And I replied, I guess you don't understand how Christianity works. You're asking me to do something impossible. So anyway, I'm going to do that too, kind of get into some things. And uh, just that's my plan for this. And anyway, uh, I hope you guys have a blessed day and uh, go out there and be bold. <laughs>